Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah with the Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio. We just wrapped up a series on puppies, and I had a lot of questions in my inbox that were left unanswered about puppies. So this episode's mostly going to concern um, just some other puppy questions that people brought up. So with that, we're going to dive right in. Um, One of the questions was just about some details on transferring a puppy to a new home. So the writer admitted that, you know, clearly puppies experience distress when we take them from their mom and their siblings. And this is definitely true. The breeder can help you out a little bit there by um, starting to crate the puppies separately when they're preparing to go home. This cannot, this needs to not be done when they're super young. So if you're getting your puppy at an appropriate age, um, I know puppy culture recommends 12 weeks. You can expect that the breeder is doing a little bit of separation and that can help you out a little bit. But in general, there's really no way to make it super easy for them. It is going to be hard for them. So what I like to have you do is make it as easy as possible by number one, really avoiding isolation. I think a lot of us get our puppy and they put we put them in a crate in a totally separate room from us, um, maybe even on a different floor, and expect them to be totally non-distressed by that and to just go to sleep. Or we expect them to cry all night and it's fine and we think that's fine. Um, a much better way to do it would be to create your puppy on the same level as your bed. So I like to put them up on a table, put the crate up on a table next to your bed so that they're basically sleeping right there with you um, during the night. So number one is to avoid isolation. Number two, there's all kinds of things that you can get. Um, There's actually a stuffed toy that you can get that um, has a heartbeat (laughs) that they can lay next to. And you can use a hot water bottle, you know, things like that so that they feel like they're, you know, having the same sensation as sleeping next to a body. I know that when I got Felix, I put him in a crate and put the crate up on a table next to my bed and I just kind of stuck my fingers through the door of the crate and he fell asleep like that with his face next to my fingers. And then the next night he didn't need that um, and it went pretty quickly. He really wasn't super fussy. So, just don't don't bring them home and immediately isolate them. I think that's what, that's what people do that causes them so much distress because they're not used to being isolated. And that really leads into the next question. I had a question about when puppies cry in the crate, what are we supposed to do? And I did also get a separate email regarding um, adult dogs crying or barking in the crate and what are we supposed to do? Because I had mentioned... In I think it was Prime Part 4, maybe Part 3, that um, letting a dog bark it out isn't effective and, and trying to pay them for quiet times won't usually be effective either. Um, and so their question was, what do, what do you actually do about it? So back to puppies. There's not a lot of research on puppies in this, but there is a lot of research on infants. Um... And as far as allowing them to, you know, essentially cry until they fall asleep is not good for them as far as lifelong stress hormones um, being in the body. And so with your puppy, understand that they are crying because they need something. 
They're either crying because they're alone and they're not used to that, or they need out, or they need food, or, you know, just like a baby, they don't just cry. Um, You might not always be able to figure out why they're crying, but they're crying because they need something. And I always want my dogs to know that I will meet their needs and that that's not something that they need to stress about. So as far as having your puppies cry in a crate... There's, to me, there's a big difference between the puppy whines a little bit and then falls asleep. Sometimes you have a puppy that's overtired, but kind of like a toddler that doesn't want to nap. They might fuss about it for a second before going to sleep. And that's a totally different story and that's fine. But as far as a puppy vocalizing all night long or for hours on end, that's never something that should be allowed to carry on. I would remove them from the crate put them somewhere else, have them be with you, do something to just kind of stop the distress. And then while the distress is stopped, reevaluate. Say, could my crate be in a more comfortable place for the dog? Um, Could this puppy have had more playtime or more potty time before I put them in a crate? Essentially, this whole idea that, you know, is perpetuated that dogs are, quote, den animals and therefore they like the crate is kind of garbage. They have to they have to learn that the crate is a safe, nice place for them to be. And they don't learn that by you allowing them to just distress vocalize and not meet their needs. So really important that the crate is a nice, happy place for them to be. I actually like to introduce a crate by having it be a part of an X-Pen. So have it be a part of a larger space that they're allowed to move about in. Um, And then take a Kong and freeze it and you can like zip tie it to the back of the crate so that the puppy can only chew the Kong inside the crate. Or you can bury stuff that's really good to chew in the blanket in the crate. And essentially the puppy kind of learns, oh, the crate is not a bad place to be. There's a lot of resources on good crate training out there, so I'm not going to go as far into that. But know that letting them just cry until they stop will not help you have a dog that doesn't cry in the crate. What will help you have a dog that doesn't cry in the crate is teaching them that the crate is a safe place for rest. I'm also not a huge fan of using a crate for working scenarios. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, there's a lot of things that people do as far as, you know, training agility behaviors, utilizing a crate. And for me, I want my dog to see the crate as a non-working area. I want, I don't actually want them to expect me to click and treat them while they're in a crate. Um, Instead, you know, I'd put my puppy in a crate and I'd probably give him something to chew at first. And then I would proceed to do something else. Like I would make the bed and every few minutes or so I'd walk over and drop food in the crate. Um, And then the next time I wouldn't have them have a Kong, they'd just be in there. And just every few moments, I just walk by and drop food in the crate. And I don't look at them and I don't talk to them. Um, I just walk by and drop food in the crate. So they're just kind of learning, oh, I just hang out here and be quiet and it's no big deal. And as long as you're doing it frequently enough that they're not getting frustrated, that you're not giving them more food, um, that's a nice way to start out. So I guess what what I want to say is that this idea of letting them cry it out and not letting them out until they're quiet is founded in smart science. It's saying, you know, letting them out is reinforcement. So don't reinforce that barking. So I understand that. 
But what happens is you just make that behavior um, really nice and strong because all of us at some point give in and let that puppy out. And so you're actually just really strengthening that behavior. And then on the other side of it, understand that they probably have no idea how to be quiet. So if they don't know how to relax in the crate, you expecting them to just figure that out is not going to go well for you. So really start it out by just helping them be comfortable. If your puppy's crying in the crate, walk over, sit next to the crate, stick your fingers in it. Um, if they start to calm down a little bit, that's great. If they don't, just go ahead and get them out of there. Cut your losses. Figure out, you know, why was my puppy so distressed in the crate? Is it that they didn't get enough exercise today? They didn't get enough mental stimulation? Um, maybe they needed to go outside. You know, whatever it is, they need something. And so you want to make sure that their needs are met before they go in there. Enrichment, environmental enrichment, really big important thing as far as helping them um, be able to relax in the crate. So, and the other part is I'm not a huge fan of crating any dogs for hours on end. And you guys, this is a change for me in my life. When I first started out um, training pet dogs, I was really big into crates for management. I wanted pretty much every dog crated if they were not being supervised. And I've pretty much done a 180 from that. Um, my personal dogs are pretty much only crated in the car at agility trials. Um, or if I'm going to be gone for, you know, a few hours and I don't trust them to be together, I don't trust them to be in the house. So, and it, that's rare. Um, I work from home, so my dogs generally aren't crated. And, you know, during the day, if I need to run an errand, if it's going to be an hour or so, I pretty much leave them in the house. Um, if it's going to be a little bit longer than that, I'll probably crate them. And I have baby gates that can separate them um, so that I don't have, you know, all of my dogs running free in my entire house. <laughs> um, but generally speaking, I use crates less and less. And the less I use them, here's the amazing thing, the more comfortable my dogs are in them. So know that it is, it is confinement. It is a form of isolation. Nobody likes it. Okay, um, dogs that really are obsessed with their crate and want to hide in their crate all the time, I actually worry about them. Uh, Prime, for instance, really likes to be crated, really seeks out a crate because he can't handle the world, right? So he has a really hard time uh, with sensory input, really hard time with social situations. And so a crate is a really safe space for him. Um, a mentally, quote unquote, normal dog won't want to just be in a crate all the time. So, and... Actually, I've recently been told that um, there are some European countries, Sweden being one of them, where crating in the home is actually illegal. So the dog is only allowed to be in a crate during transport. Um, and so think about that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing for some societies. So people do survive um, without the use of a crate. So... As far as what's effective for stopping crate barking, that's already kind of an ingrained habit. I'd be doing a whole lot of like what I said, just go do something boring and just every few seconds go drop food in. You can get a pet tutor um, and set it up on a bark function so that actually feeds the dog when they're quiet. And I would never just stick them in there with nothing to do. Also, you know, it's, it's really not fair for them. So 
And then if they're barking like in an agility context, I would say they don't need to be aware that it's an agility context. I'd never create my dog's ringside. If I'm going to create my dogs at a trial, they are in a quiet spot. They're never right by the ring. And I create out of my car 99% of the time. Um, yes, even when it's hot. Um, and it got very hot in the Colorado summers. And I had a whole system for keeping my car cool enough for my dogs. So that's something to think about as well. Um, it really all is about tackling that core emotion um, finding out why they're barking in the first place and then taking care of that as opposed to trying to stop the behavior of barking. Um, I also really, really like the idea of um, hanging a bell inside the crate that the dog can ring to ask to be let out. Um, I th know a lot of you are freaking out. You're, you're saying, but the dog's just going to ring the bell constantly. Well, you can also give a signal that means, you know, I'm not, I, the answer is no. So, you ring, you know, you put the crate, you put the bell in the crate and the dog rings the bell, you let them out. And then you introduce a signal that means I'm not going to let you out. So you just kind of give them a hand signal and a, and a verbal, um, not now or something like that. And continue making the bed or whatever, and then dropping cookies in occasionally. Um, that's an idea I got from Grisha Stewart. And she's got a video of that on her YouTube channel, which I think is just Grisha Stewart, but um, if you search it on YouTube, you, you'll find it. So that's another, that's another thought. That's a good idea. Um, somebody all else asked about, and I think this kind of segues into it, avoiding separation anxiety. So how do we set up puppies to not have separation anxiety? Understand that separation anxiety or, you know, more accurately, separation anxiety disorder um, is really characteristic of dogs that absolutely cannot be left alone with or without confinement anxiety. So some of them panic in a crate even if they're not alone. Um, most of them cannot be crated. Most of them cannot be confined. It's kind of a cornerstone of separation anxiety that most of those dogs cannot be confined. Um, it just ensues more and more panic. I am not an expert on separation anxiety. I do have a dog with separation anxiety, so I maybe know a little bit more than your average Joe, but um, I'm not an expert. But what I will say is that this concept of letting puppies cry it out in the crate does not help you to avoid separation anxiety. What helps you to avoid separation anxiety is beginning to desensitize the dog's alone time early, early on. So short periods of being alone, not necessarily with a bone or a Kong, you guys, because um, that can distract them from the fact that you're even gone. So short periods of being alone are really, really important to do early, early on. The other thing, you guys, it runs in certain breeds. Um, and so I'd be really talking to breeders about the incidence of separation anxiety in their line. And I'm going to tell you right now, since I live with it, it would be a deal breaker for me if I talked to a breeder and I found out that any of the dogs, honestly, even just one, um, I might be inclined to walk away. Um, definitely if either of the parents have separation anxiety, I personally would walk away from it. Um, doesn't have to be a deal breaker for you. We all have our different deal breakers. 
for me, since I deal with it, um, it is a deal breaker for me. So I wouldn't want anything to do with that again. The breeds it runs in, um, this is anecdotal. I don't know if there's been a survey on it. I, there maybe has. So if somebody knows of a survey on breeds and separation anxiety, please shoot it over to me. Um, Wyme runners, it's a big, big problem in, in Wymes. Um, I've actually met very, very few Wymes that didn't have some form of separation anxiety. Um, my sister worked for a big, big animal shelter in a big city, and she said every single Wyme runner that they had surrendered was surrendered for separation anxiety. Um, so it's a big problem in that breed. It's also a problem in German Shepherds. Um, so look into it. Talk to your breeder. Um, make sure that you're not signing up for it when you get a dog. So I think that's a big deal. Um, if you want some more information on separation anxiety or treating separation anxiety, um, Malena Demartini Price is the person that I would, I really recommend you seeking out. Um, her website's melenademartini.com and she runs a business um, of trainers who only work on separation anxiety cases and they work nationwide remotely and it's fantastic they have a huge huge success rate so if you need help with separation anxiety that's my biggest recommendation um and she has a book out as well which i believe is just called treating separation anxiety in dogs um but again it's melena demartini so Next puppy question, moving away from creating issues or separation anxiety is, it was just kind of a general blanket question that was, how do you deal with fear periods? And as most of us know, uh, dogs have a tendency to, or not a tendency, but they definitely, definitely go through developmental fear periods. And these periods are just kind of these sensitive periods where the dogs are more prone to be frightened by novel stimuli. So you walk your puppy down the same street every day and you walk past a fire hydrant every day and then one day you walk past that fire hydrant and your puppy slams on the brake, says, what is that? It's a monster and I can't go near it. You know, that's that's a really classic fear period um, type of response. Your puppy's personality sort of changes during these periods, during these times. Um, there's a little bit of research on when they occur. You can definitely check that out on your own. What I have found is that it's, it's varied and it varies by breed and it varies by line. So again, good relationship with your breeder and talking to your breeder about, uh, when these fear periods might occur in your puppy is a good idea. And as far as how do we deal with it, we don't, we wait it out. <laughs> they, it passes. And the biggest mistake people make is that they try to work through it. So their puppy's afraid of that fire hydrant and they try to work through it. They try to lure the puppy up to it with cookies. They try to shape the puppy to walk up to it with clicking and treating. Um, they maybe even try to counter condition the puppy with some food. Don't. There's no, it, there's no use. They're in a fear period. Go home. That's all. Um, it, the smartest thing you can do is just avoid fear invoking stimuli in general and understand there's a difference between startle and fear startle should have an, a pretty instant recovery fear lingers fear is the nastiest emotion that any of us experience 
We should never put our dogs in situations where they are, where they're deliberately going to experience fear. So we know they're afraid of something and therefore we expose them to it in order to, quote, help them get over it. That's the worst idea you could have. Don't have them around stuff that they're scared of. That's the best way to go. Um, if you have a generally fearful puppy, so they don't seem to be going in and out of a fear period, they seem to be generally fearful, that's where I would get some help. Um, I would talk to a veterinary behaviorist, I would talk to somebody who can help you in general with the puppy's overall, you know, seemingly fearful temperament. That kind of shouldn't happen to you if you did your homework, um, in the breeder department, but certainly happens. I know there are people who listen to this who wouldn't be getting their puppy from a breeder. They'd be going a shelter route or something like that, and that's perfectly fine. Just know that a puppy that's fearful for weeks and weeks and weeks on end um, should probably be seen by a professional to make sure that we're doing everything we need to do for them. So the short answer for how to deal with fear periods is you don't. You just wait for them to pass. Um, a good example is Felix actually kind of cycled in and out of fear periods um, through most of his puppyhood, as I feel that most Border Collies do. And he was actually in one when I got him, which was not ideal. Um, Breeder and I totally agreed it was not ideal. He literally kind of woke up in it the day that I was set to arrive. To pick him up. <laughs> um, so that didn't go according to plan, but kind of nothing about that trip did. So that was just one more thing. Uh, he survived it. <laughs> so did I. So that's the good news. But um, really interesting, when I got him, he was afraid of my dad. Um, I immediately took him over to my parents to see them. Uh, they were taking care of my other dog while I was on the trip. And um, he wouldn't approach him. He would approach all the other people, but not my dad. And he literally the next week ran up to my dad, had never met him because he didn't approach him. My dad was really good and just left him alone. He wanted more than anything to pick this puppy up and kiss him because he was so adorable, but he was really good and he just left him alone. And I literally took him over to their house a week later and he ran straight up to my dad and jumped in his arms because that's his normal temperament. He was in a fear period. It passed. He was no longer afraid. Had I tried to coax him over to my dad, had I tried to involve food in any way, I would have done more damage. He wouldn't have been able to just get over his fear period and then no longer be afraid. I knew my breeder, so I knew this was not a fearful puppy and I knew this was a social puppy that liked people. Um, and I knew he was in a fear period and so I just trusted that it would pass and it did. And you know what's funny? He cycled through different fear periods and each time he actually did become afraid of most men each time. And he's not afraid of men today. Um, and so just know that, you know, there are these little things that will occur that will tell you the dog's in a fear period. And those are the times to not expose them to a whole lot. Don't take them to the agility trial. Don't have them meet a bunch of adult dogs at that time or definitely not a bunch of puppies. Just let it pass. You know, think of it like a normal growing pain. The puppies just got to kind of sleep through. I would give them a lot of puzzle toys. Nothing that's scary or loud or makes noise. I would definitely not have them in an agility type of environment if that's your goal. Um, just, just let it pass. It's not the time to introduce them to the Dremel. It's not the time to introduce them to a blow dryer. 
Um, it because it will go away. Just trust that it will go away. When they get a little bit older, they get into adolescence, it can last for a few months at a time. So just, again, hang in there. Trust that it'll be fine. Um, one other little story about Felix. He was... I think it was about six months old when um, there's kind of another normal developmental fear period happens between like six and nine months. He was about six months old and I was at an agility trial with him and he heard the teeter bang and he got scared. He stopped taking food. He kind of froze up. Happened again. He was like, oh my gosh, get me out of here. So I did. I got him out of there. Um, I was worried. I'm not going to lie. Being afraid of the teeter sound is a big problem for a lot of dogs. <laughs> um, but I trusted my instinct and said, he's just going through another fear period. And you know what, guys? He can go to trial now. There could be t two teeters banging at the same time. He doesn't care. He plays the bang game and jumps on the teeter himself. He's great. He was in a fear period. He was therefore sensitive to that loud sound. It would have been stupid for me to try to work through that in that moment. And that's what everybody wants to do. They want to... They want to see the recovery, right? They want to see that I'll go from scared to not scared anymore. And in those times, you're not, you're probably not going to see that. You're probably just going to draw more attention to the scary stimulus. And during a time when the dog is so sensitive to the stimulus, and it's not a good idea. So that's how we deal, dear, sorry, deal with fear periods is we don't. We let them pass because they will. Um, okay, guys, that is about it for puppies. I'm going to move on to a couple other topics to finish up this episode. If you have more questions on puppies, you can sh uh, certainly shoot them over and I will answer them. So the last little question, I got an email about um, dogs that kind of shut down during sports. I, as most of you know, I'm teaching a course for Fenzy Dog Sports Academy right now called Worked Up. It's about dogs that get worked up. They get um, overly aroused in working environments, uh, over, overly adrenalized. They uh, spin and bark and bite and can't meet criteria and they're just basically out of their minds. Um, these are agility dogs and other working types of dogs that have a hard time with that environment. And the email question was, but what about dogs that shut down because of the environment? So they don't amp up, they amp down. Um, what about those dogs? And I get that question all the time. Uh, in fact, a lot of people who inquired about worked up wanted to know if the class would be appropriate for dogs that did shut down. And Here's what I want you to know, guys. If your dog doesn't perform in a trial the way that they do in training, there is something to do with the trial environment that's hard for them. That could be you. Um, it could be everything else that has to do with the trial. Agility trials specifically, you guys, they're not easy for dogs. Um, it's like sensory overload to the extreme. It is for us. Have you ever notice, you know, you're exhausted at the end of the day? It doesn't even matter if you only had two runs. You're very tired. It's because of all the sensory input that you deal with during the day. So for dogs that shut down, I would examine a few things. I would say number one, is the dog actually afraid of something? Are they afraid of other dogs? Are they afraid of strangers? Are they afraid of loud noises? Um, 
So are they actually afraid of something in this environment? That's the first thing that kind of needs to be addressed. Because if they are, you have no business putting them in that environment until you have addressed that. And I would get some qualified help to address that. And then the other thing is I would think about is, is my dog adequately trained to do what I'm asking him to do? Because I'm going to tell you, worked up dogs as well as shutdown dogs, I hate these labels, but this is hopefully will help you guys understand what we're talking about. Um, both of these types of dogs, inadequate training is usually part of the problem. And know that you want to go above and beyond. You want to really, really get your dog training skills up to par. Um, that means really understanding marker signals, really understanding reinforcement strategies. I want you to take it upon yourself to become the best dog trainer that you can be because very likely there's some training issues. And then what happens is you put them in the ring, they're not adequately trained, they don't know actually how to do what you're asking them to do, and that's very, very hard for them. So be sure that the dogs are trained above and beyond. I want them overtrained. They should really, really know how to do what you want them to do. And the last thing is you want to say, am I the handler that I need to be for this dog? Because that's a lot of it as well. That's something that's really important for all of us to be thinking about. Um, I think that Frequently, the only reason people kind of make an effort to become a better handler is so that they can do better competitively. And in truth, if you have a dog that's struggling, you have to be the best handler that you can be in order to help them. Um, and private training of some kind is the best way to get there. You will not get there in a group class. So that's my two cents on agility coaching is that if you really want to improve something, seek out private training from someone whose handling style you would like to emulate um, and someone who is kind as a coach and as a dog trainer. Um, as far as being a better handler, why is that so important? The reason is, if you can imagine being in a strange place, um, maybe it's a country you've never been to and you're not driving, so you're with somebody else that's driving. And, you know, you're a little bit nervous, you're not familiar with the place, maybe the weather is bad, maybe you have a deadline, um, for some reason you've got to get where you're going and so you're a little nervous anyway and then your driver is really doing a poor job of things. <laughs> um, or worse, let's say you're driving and you've got a navigator and your navigator keeps telling you the wrong way to turn or keeps telling you way too late to turn or you know, just generally is getting you in trouble um, behind the wheel. That's how our dogs feel, I think, a lot of the time when we aren't being a great handler for them. So being a really good handler for your dog is a really big, fast, easy way to help them be less stressed in trials. Now, having said that, there are certainly things that you can do to help dogs be less stressed, um, specifically, and some of the worked up stuff is helpful for them. So if you do have a shutdown dog, you might try auditing worked up. Um, the bronze level or the observer level spots are still open. Uh, registration's only open for a couple more days. So hop in on that and 
there are some things that will be applicable to your dog. Okay, you guys, so that's going to wrap it up. Please send me emails at uh, cogdogradio at gmail.com if there's something that you'd like me to talk about. I am going to kick off a few more case studies coming up here, but I also like doing these episodes where I just kind of answer your questions. So if you've got questions, shoot them over to me. If you've got suggestions for things you want me to talk about, shoot that over as well. Thanks for listening. <laughs>